And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650, KSTE and KSTE.com. Farmer Fred here. Hello. Hi. Hi. You're not Farmer Fred. Don't fool me. You're Debbie Flower. Yeah, that's who I am. Horticultural consultant extraordinaire. Oh, thank you. Uh, that would be HCE is the initials. Mm. Put that out on your business card. HCE. I hadn't thought about H-C-E. that. HCE. People will wonder. They'll think you've been knighted or something <laughs> if, if you do that. Her Majesty's something or other. Yeah. So Debbie will be here to uh, answer some gardening questions when she's done with her donut. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we're going to answer your garden questions at mm-hmm. 916-576-1578, 866-331-8255. Maybe you want to talk about the hard freezes we've had and what it's done to your garden. And maybe we'll tell you, well, here's what you should and should not be doing this week and in future weeks after you've had some plant damage because of the hard freeze. And late February and a hard freeze is not in the California vernacular in our area. Although it's not unheard of. It's not unheard of, but we did break some cold records for three days this mm-hmm. past week. It got uh, historically cold. And for a late February, especially after two and a half weeks of spring-like weather with days in the 70s, things started popping, and all of a sudden, things stopped popping. Yes. And they went patooey. And we'll talk about the patooey and uh, what you can do about it, if anything. and um, Or not do about it. I, well, yeah, that's a, what we probably will get into is uh, go back inside. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Sit on your hands. Yes. Well, Embrace the ugly. Mm-hmm. Yes, embrace the ugly. <laughs> yes, and live with it. So we'll talk about that. All right, uh, weather ahead for the coming days and weeks. Sunny today with a high of 60. And I don't see any overnight lows for the coming week that are lower than 36 in the Sacramento area. So no freezes expected right here. Now, where you live, it may get around freezing. But I don't foresee anything in, in hard freeze territory like uh, we've had Uh, And the good news is there is rain on the way. There's a 40% chance of rain tonight, leading to 80% tomorrow morning. And uh, slight chance of showers on uh, Monday night as well. Sunny on Tuesday, and then rain on Wednesday, Thursday. Chance of showers Friday and Saturday. So we're back to weasel weather, where maybe it'll rain, maybe it won't. And the amounts they're calling for... Mm, better than nothing, a tenth to a quarter of an inch tonight, a tenth to a quarter of an inch on Monday. Uh, and maybe if you, especially if you live in the foothills, it'd probably be more than that. That's the way it usually works. Well, when I, I was looking at the weather, extended weather forecast um, for about 10 days. And the, if we get what they're predicting, we could get up to three inches, but it's going to be over like 10 days. That's okay. Yeah, we yeah. could. That would be perfect. Yeah. That would be nice. It would be wonderful. Because uh, in some situations, you may have had to have turned on the water. Right. I've been tempted. But then before you do that, go out and and stick something in the ground, like your finger or your screwdriver. If it goes in easily, it's damp. You don't need to turn on the water. Come on. I'm trying to sell a $100 moisture meter here. <laughs> and <laughs> okay, it works. that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it works. I've had it for 20 years, and it still works. And why are you selling it? I am not... Selling, selling it, but oh, I, 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 I am, I see, I'm I see, advising I see. people that this thing works, 
And if you want an easy way to measure soil moisture, this has been dependable for me for 20 years. Well, yes. My husband likes the moisture meter. So, okay. Yeah, there are people who do. Yeah. And it's easy to walk around the yard and just plunge it into the ground, see what it is. Where I find moisture is lacking, and even though the surface may look wet, is in pots, in containers, mm-hmm. because containers dry out sooner. Yes, they do. And for protection in a frost, that is rule number one, is make sure your soil is hydrated. Mm -hmm. So give it a good drink of water. And I guess at this point, we could, well, let's give out the numbers if I haven't already. Nine ones, hi, Terry. Forgot to say hi to Terry. He's running the board today. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. We'll get to your email in a few minutes. But, uh... Let's go back to uh, that phrase we threw out a few minutes ago, embrace the ugly. There will be some geraniums and pelargoniums that will look a little toasty right Mm -hmm. now. A lot of dead stuff. A lot of people, oh. You want to cut it off. Their skin starts crawling. It's like fingernails on a blackboard to them. They got to cut off that dead stuff. Don't. Right. It acts as a blanket. Traps the heat. Protects the rest of the plant from the next frost. In my experience, waiting for plants to make a comeback, uh, the pelargoniums, the geraniums, take the longest. Oh, yeah? It, it could be like May before you start seeing new growth emanate from the base. Well, they are succulents, so they hold a lot of moisture, and moisture takes longer to warm up than air. Why is it? Uh, oh, boy, that throws a nice monkey wrench into what I'm about to say. Okay. I have heard from uh, the... People in the desert who grow a lot of succulents do not water them when a frost is predicted because when they absorb that much water, they burst in a freeze. Yes, true. All right. But now you're saying a a pelargonium or a geranium is a succulent. Yeah. You know, feel those stems. They're thick and full of moisture. Mm -hmm. It's not... I don't know if there's a technical... If it's a technical succulent, <laughs> you can say such a thing. Uh, they That's a hold great a, name for a band. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The, tec- the technical succulents. They 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 hold a lot of moisture, and um, but it, you are right that you do not want to water uh, succulents right before a freeze. It's cold, wet that kills them, it, and that's because it dilutes the contents of the cells. So. There's less other stuff in the cells, and so that lowers the temperature at which they will freeze. Hmm. Okay. If you have a lot of stuff in the cells, which is one of the ways that plants that live through very harsh winters uh, survive, is that they get rid of a lot of moisture and have a lot of other stuff in the cells. That raises the temperature at which that cell will freeze, and it gets them through the winter. What is the stuff in a cell? Oh, it's proteins and fats and salts and... Uh, food and... I thought it was just nucleus and mitochondria. Well, there's other stuff too. Oh, okay. All right. I guess that that would make sense. Oh, man. High school biology. The, um... That was the beauty of of dissecting an onion back in Mm -hmm. high school biology to look at the cells of an onion Mm -hmm. under a microscope because you could see the various parts of the cell. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. It's a whole community. A cell is a whole community. Well, now that brings up a question. Many of us have garlic and onions growing. Mm -hmm. Have they been adversely affected by this freeze? Not likely. I I didn't cover them up. Not likely. Because I only have so many frost cloths. (laughs) Oh, come on. Start using the bed sheets. 
I actually emptied all the beach towels out uh-huh, and uh-huh. and started covering the the exposed pipes. Oh, on that, that's a problem. Yeah, on that morning, on uh, I think it was Wednesday morning, when a hard freeze was expected, mm-hmm. was forecast. When they changed it from a hard freeze watch to hard freeze warning, mm-hmm. that's their most dire warning, mm-hmm. is when they raise it. It starts at advisory, it goes to watch, and then it goes to warning. Sort of like caution warning danger right on a on bottle a pesticide of on a pesticide and they they say straight out when they issue a hard freeze warning that plants will die exposed pipes will burst mm. are you in a cold place no i'm in this is the amazing part of suburban purgatory i'm in is one of the warmest places i've ever been in where you're on a little bit of a hill a little bit of a hill so the cold air just keeps going downhill Mm-hmm. And it, it there must be something to it. If I'm planting avocados and my av- my avocado trees, not only the leaves are still green, but uh, there are still buds. Did you cover them? I did cover them, okay. and I did water them first, mm-hmm. thoroughly, and then I covered them, and uh, they're doing fine. But yeah, I'm where I am running about four to five degrees warmer than the forecast lows or the pre- or the actual lows that they report on for Folsom. Yeah, the people or the gardens that are going to suffer the most from the from these late February freezes yeah. are in the low spot, whatever the local low spot is. Yeah. Uh, if 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 it's near a creek or something that then and it goes even lower beyond them, then the cold air will follow that and drain down into the very low spot. But the coldest place will be the lowest part in the valley, and then the local low spot. You know, the the low spot yeah. in the hills or whatever. Uh, I'm I'm in Fair Oaks, and I'm I'm on a the warmer side. Um, I got frost, but it was not a hard frost. You don't have to go very far from Fair Oaks to go over to Citrus Heights or even Rancho Cordova where there is a, this river of cold air that Rancho flows Cordova is much lower, yeah. yes, uh, in elevation, and in, and the cold air does collect there, yes. Yeah. So a hard freeze is 28 degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. and that's when the uh, water in a an actively growing plant cell will freeze and burst the cell and kill the plant. Whereas a regular freeze is 32, and and that's when the uh, just water, pure water, turns to ice. This is why on my new fruit trees that were one or two years old, I use those beach towels to wrap the trunks of those trees because mm-hmm. in a hard freeze and, and the thin bark of, of a new fruit tree, that's susceptible. Right, they're growing. There's yeah. stuff going on inside that we can't see. And so, yes, you do need to do that. So, so neighbors, that's why I was out there covering everything in blankets. <laughs> they took pictures and posted it on YouTube. What's this silly guy yeah. doing? Wait till I break out the black light looking for tomato worms this summer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a short break. Back with more Get Growing. Don't forget, call in with questions. 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. I'm Matt Curtis. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Debbie Flower. Yep. Horticultural consultant extraordinaire. Oh, thank you. Uh, she'll be judging the Garden Grappler at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where you can find more freeze tips 
as well. Uh, what else? Um, garden questions? Give us a call. 576-1578 here in the 916 or 866-331-8255. But let's delve into the email you've been sending to fred at farmerfred.com. Lynn writes in and says, I read somewhere that coffee grounds are not so acidic when added to the soil because they have been through the brewing process, which has removed most of the acid. What is your opinion of the acidity of coffee grounds? You know, I've never done a pH test of coffee grounds. That would be interesting. I have not either, but I checked a couple of references, and they it varies from 4.6 to 8.4. <laughs> Yeah, it's huge variation. Yeah. yeah. There Well, no, go ahead. No, I go you go. Okay, I'm I was going to rant about biochar. Oh. I see a lot of companies now touting their use of biochar mm-hmm. in in soils. And there's still I still think the jury's out. I do too. On biochar because biochar basically is is slow cooked dead material trees plant materials whatever it's sort of liken it to charcoal it's not yeah, charcoal it's but not it's, charcoal it looks like charcoal yeah but basically you know it, it's the next new wonder drug for soils as far as it's the next uh, new way to get money out of your wallet well the testing done is very inconclusive and very contradictory as far as the results and in the one test that i did with biochar somebody gave me a bucket of biochar and i said yeah i'll try it and the first thing I did was I did a pH test of it, and it was like 8.9. Holy smokes. And that's really alkaline. Yes. Most of our plants like to grow somewhere with a pH between 6 and 7, which is sort of a little bit on the acidic side, but more towards the neutral side. Mm-hmm. And then when you start putting in all this alkalinity, that changes the pH. Which and changes the availability of nutrients yeah. to the plant. One of the best diagrams I ever saw was how pH affects, if you will, the nutrient availability, but the nutrient availability was graphically portrayed as pipelines going across left to right. Mm -hmm. And each of the various pipelines was a different nutrient. Across Mm -hmm. the top was the range of pH. Mm -hmm. In the ideal pH range, which was mostly about 6.2 to 7.2, the pipes were the widest, yeah. which means the most nutrients got through. Yeah. And as that soil got more alkaline or more acidic, the pipelines narrowed. Right. And But there are plants that are native to places with pHs at what we would consider the extreme, say 9 or 5.5, 4, something mm-hmm. like that. And they have, over time, evolved ways to live in those environments and if we give them ph uh at a what we think is the more preferred range i learned 5.5 to 6.5 um then for us for, for acid loving plants you mean no for all plants all plants 5.5 to 6.5 6. 5, right wow around that well this was at rutgers in new jersey where soils are naturally more acidic Okay. And so the plants that we grew there around here, it's more closer to neutral, mm-hmm. seven. Um, but if we give them, let's say we give them, plant them in soil that has a pH of seven, some of those big pipes of nutrients are actually toxic to plants that are native to places with much different pHs. So you really have to accommodate the plant. All right. For instance, to your right are two blueberry plants. Right. 
blueberry plants prefer a pH around 5.5. Right. If you took those home and plunked them into your native soil, and I'm assuming it's typical Carmichael soil, which actually the pH range could be any place. Yes, urban uh, construction soil. (laughs) (laughs) But let's just say on average, let's say it's 7. Okay. All right. I'm likely to see iron deficiency. Yes. And, and and other micronutrient deficiencies because the plants don't can't get enough. It's it, it's there, it's in the soil, but the plants don't have the ability to get it out of the soil. Whereas at a a pH of uh 5.5, those nutrients are much more available. That they have bigger pipelines. So, what are you going to do when you get those blueberries home? Well, I'm probably going to put them in a container, but if I the thing I will use um I have a recipe someplace uh, with some bark mm-hmm. and some a little bit of sulfur uh, and some, I don't know if we used peat moss or not. Uh, I, and, I always, my go-to formula was what Ed Livo would recommend when he was at Dave Wilson Nursery for the blueberries, which was one-third small bark, one-third peat moss, and one-third of a rhododendron azalea camellia soil mix Mm -hmm. with a handful of soil sulfur Mm -hmm. in a container. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mix it together well. The other things, the bark bark doesn't affect the pH. The bark uh, opens it up and makes it well-drained. Right. Uh, And peat moss is naturally acidic. Um, The rhododendron mix will be naturally acidic or will be acidic, maybe not naturally. And sulfur uh, will... It takes sulfur takes quite a while to react in soil, but it will uh, make sulfuric acid, which is acidic. It sounds dangerous. It couldn't be, but it's not not fast enough or strong enough to hurt <clears throat> hurt us. How long would you reapply that soil sulfur? That's a good question. I probably would just wait for symptoms. That's a little late because the sulfur does take a while to mm-hmm. to respond. Uh, so the other solution might be annually. Okay. What did you do back east to raise the pH? Lime. Lime. Yeah, okay. calcium carbonate. Lime, when we think of lime, we might think of the fruit, which is an, a very acidic fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, but lime is uh, calcium and, and carbon and oxygen. And the calcium is a pH ra- raiser, lifter. All right. What is gypsum? Gypsum is... Uh, uh, it's not calcium carbonate. No, magnesium sulfate. Okay. Magnesium will also raise uh, or lift pH. In fact, you can get dolomitic lime, which is calcium and magnesium, has magnesium in it. Um, but the um, sulfur in in gypsum lowers pH. So <laughs> gypsum does not affect pH. What okay. gypsum does is take sodium out of soil. If you have sodium, which few of us up here do... <laughs> There are certain parts of, this, of the country that have sodium in their soils, and they will find gypsum effective in opening the soils. But if you have clay soil around here, it's not likely to open up your soils. Even though that bag of has all the ho- <laughs> of gypsum on it, on it, well, the bag of gypsum says right on the front, loosens clay soils. Yeah. There should be fine print. There probably isn't, but there should be fine print that says if they're full of sodium. Okay, so for, for sodic soils, yes, as they like to say. Yes, very specific to a certain type yeah. of soil. So gypsum does nothing to change, uh, pH. change pH or loosen clay soils in our area. Correct. Because there's not much sodic right. salt. It can be a source of magnesium if you're magnesium deficient, mm-hmm. which 
as far as I know, we are not here in California. When I lived in Portland, Oregon, we were. Um, or it can be a source of sulfur. And then you have to be careful if, the, if it's a plant that likes sulfur. The, the smell you get from, let's say, cabbage is a sulfur smell. Um, or a rotten goose egg. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, yes, rotten eggs smell like sulfur. Um, if the plant uses the sulfur, let's say, then it leaves the magnesium behind, then slowly over time the pH of the soil will go up as the balance between the sulfur and the magnesium changes, and vice versa. If the plant uses a lot of magnesium, leaves the sulfur behind, then the pH will go up. Did I say up with the sulfur? It should be down with the sulfur. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when it comes to magnesium and calcium, that's a fine ratio. It is, and I'm not well-versed on that. Yeah, it's the cation exchange capacity, CEC. And when you start messing with magnesium and calcium, you could be screwing up the soil. Yes, so don't use gypsum <laughs> is the short answer. Right. So what is it? Now, you taught wine making. I did. Or, not, or growing wine Both. grapes. Okay. What is it, these big piles of white stuff after harvest that they have out in the vineyards ready to be spread on the soil? I don't know. I'm the thinking it's gypsum. Stuff. Yeah, it looks like gypsum. Well, it could be. I don't know why they'd be doing that. Because they think it loosens clay soils? <laughs> Maybe. In a lot of... I shouldn't say that. Never mind. Okay. All right. So, well, all right. Anyway, we'll take a break then so we don't, you know, <laughs> make enemies of half the population or something. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Patty, it's... Been- You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower. Mm-hmm. And, and we are uh, answering your gardening questions. For instance, Kathy in Sacramento writes, and we've been doing quite a bit of mulching at our house. Me too. I, I know you have the 444 rule about mulching around trees. Four inches thick, four inches away from tree trunks, and four feet or four feet beyond the drip line of the tree. Actually, that that is the formula that Ann Fechner shared with us from the uh, Sacramento Tree Foundation. Okay, the way they like to mulch, and it is that's that's a that's good a good form, rule. Yeah, yeah it's easy form, to remember. Yeah, and the key then is four inches away from the trunk. Uh, my husband, she, now she's going to blame her husband. My husband tried <laughs> to be helpful and dumped mulch around the top of the rose bushes. I have concerns about the mulch between the canes and at the root crown of the roses. Can you please advise on this? Or should the mulch be four inches away from the canes, just like with trees? My concern is that the mulch, which will retain water, will cause the canes to rot Mm -hmm. and we'll lose the roses. Mm -hmm. We'll await your answer. Mm -hmm. She's right. It should be four inches away from the trunk of the rose. It should not be on the canes. Can I defend her husband for one second here? Sure, of course. I bet he's from the East Coast. Where no, they bury roses in the winter where to they keep bur- them from drying out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised because that's the way maybe her husband's parents did it mm-hmm. with their rose bushes. And he's just bringing his old East Coast tricks to the West Coast. Right. And growing roses California style is a little it's different. different. Yeah. Absolutely. You mulch just like you said. Keep it away. Right. In California. Right. In California. So, yeah. Now, what about these roses that now have mulch in them? You blast it away with water? What do you do? Well, my, I would put on my gloves and do it by hand. Mm. Uh, 
Maybe well, you have rose gloves. Yeah, thorn you, gloves. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I, you know, I guess you take a rake and uh, you cal- could use water. Our climate is dry enough that the water's not going to stand around. Yeah, for that, very long. Would you use a leaf blower? I would not. Okay. Uh, the, the air coming out of a leaf blower can be up to two hundred miles an hour, and that can that would certainly dry it out. But it can also send things flying everywhere, uh, including the debris on the ground and whatever's on the plant next door. Or I would not. There are people who would. My oh, husband yeah. would. I think most of your landscape companies would. Right. It's quick. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's effective. Um, at, if I were going to do it to a rose, I would do it probably right after I'd pruned it because I assume it's pretty leafless at that time and also pretty dormant at that time. But because of the heat we had earlier this month, most roses are starting to push out new growth. Right. Yes. And uh, taking a, a leaf blower to it now may be detrimental. Yeah, it would dry out those buds. Yeah. So, yeah, get those, uh, get that mulch out of that uh, rose and uh, do like uh, do like you would for uh, anything else, four inches deep, four inches away from the trunk and the stems and mm-hmm. four feet. Well, you don't have to go four feet beyond the drip line of a rose, but maybe just slightly beyond the canopy of the mm-hmm. rose itself, also mm-hmm. known as the drip line. That would work. So, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, Good piece of advice, and I, I, I don't blame her husband. He was just doing what he was taught. <laughs> yeah. All right. One thing I've seen while riding my bike around the uh, Folsom, Eldorado Hills, Granite Bay areas, mm-hmm. I see a lot of interesting landscaping going on. Mm-hmm. And I still, I, I thought this was an East Coast thing, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing a lot of it. Volcano mulches around really? trees. And a volcano mulch is, is people who pile up mulch against the trunk of the tree. And why would they do that in the first place? I don't know. I, I have read articles where people just question why it's done. Yeah. But there has to be a reason why people would do it. And I, I got to believe it's some East Coast well, snowbound Well, in the East thing. Coast, you're right. In the East Coast, because when it gets cold, East Coast, North, you know, anywhere you get snow or colder, when the temperatures get below 32 the air cannot hold a lot of moisture. The air gets very dry. And that, and then you get wind. And that combination can dry out a plant, especially a young plant, a, a tree trunk that's not very thick, hasn't had a chance to put on a lot of bark yet, um, hasn't grown in diameter yet. Uh, and so that can really um, dry out. The, the, the active growing part of the tree is just under that bark. And so if you have a thin bark and very dry air and wind, it can actually dry out the plumbing system of the plant. And that's why if you read articles about rose care from colder places, they will tell you to, to mulch them, bury them in mulch. In some extremely cold areas, they'll tell you to dig them out and lay them down and bury them in the soil. Um, and so that same thing would apply to a, a tree trunk that you would mulch in this volcano, this this pyramid shape around the trunk of the tree, right up against the tree, um, to hold moisture in for the winter only. And then come spring, when temperatures are above freezing, you can move that mulch away and the plant will survive. So because I've seen this recently, maybe this was in response to the forecast of a hard freeze in our area that some people had decided, well, I better... 
uh, pile up the mulch against the trunk of the tree in order to protect it from a hard freeze. Possibly, or there are just a lot of transplants from colder places. Yeah, or it was bad advice by somebody on TV. Yep. That, that generally, it's, it's when these weather people start doing garden <laughs> advice. It's You don't see me doing weather on radio, do you? Oh, wait a minute, you do. But <laughs> We don't see you. You don't see me, yeah, right. I can deny it. Uh, yeah, so no, volcano mulching is out. It's it just, yes. again, the 444 rule, four inches deep, four inches away from the trunk, four feet out. and Beyond the drip. Yeah, that's a good idea. The other thing I've been seeing a lot of, people have planted a lot of trees during the winter, new mm-hmm. trees, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Good. Mm-hmm. Plant trees. They have kept the original nursery stake attached to the tree. Oh, don't want to do that. All right. Talk about why it was there to begin with and what should be done instead. Okay. Um, Trees are grown in containers in very close quarters uh, at the commercial wholesale nursery, and it is much easier to handle them, to keep them from bumping into each other and rubbing against each other, to move them from place to place, to throw them into a truck, to take them out of the truck if their trunks are stiff. And so they are bonded to a a, a stake for that purpose. You want to establish a nice straight tree trunk for the for the uh, life of the tree and what happens to that trunk when it's young is what it's going to look like when it's older. So it helps to establish a nice straight tree trunk and it makes it much easier to handle. And Try transport. Too. And transport, right. Yeah. Try picking up a containerized plant tree, you know, that's, let's say it's only five feet tall, that is not staked and throw it to the next guy. And you get branches in your face and in your hair and Broken Attach. branches in the truck. Right. Yeah. Attach that to a, to a stake and throw it to the next guy, and it's a much cleaner operation. They fit better in the truck. They're easier to take off the truck. They're easier to move into the retail nursery. I've done all of those things. It definitely makes it easier to have a, a, it attached to a, a, a stake. But that stake acts like um, a cast on your limb after you break your bone. You cannot use your muscles because you've got a cast on that, on that limb. You've basically casted that trunk. And plants live in nature. They live outdoors. In nature, they are not staked. They move with the wind, and they develop what's called reaction wood. Um, it's, and it's, it's when they're blown one way, they create some cells that resist that on, the, on one side. They're blown the other way, they create the cells there. So that, that's their natural uh, structure. So it's just like humans, to build muscle, you have to exercise those muscles. Yes. If your arm is in a cast, you cannot exercise those muscles. You take the cast off, your arm is weak. The, when the tree is attached to the trunk, it cannot exercise its reaction wood. You take it off the, the stake, and it, it's very weak. But we need, for the life of the tree and for the health and the beauty of the tree, we need it to establish that reaction wood. And so you need to take that stake off. And the plant will bend over. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. That's right. true. It's, r- it's rare, but sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and if it just bends in, a, in, a, in an R shape, um, that's, that's normal. And you want to get two stakes and put them, oh, a foot on either side of the tree. They should be shorter than the tree. And you run your hand starting at the ground up the tree trunk and you'll reach some point where that that top of the R will stand straight up and you'll have an L instead of a lowercase r. The, st- the tree will stand up. That place where that happens on the trunk, that's where you want to attach your ties from the tree trunk to the, 
to both stakes. So it's just one location. I don't understand the L. L is a small, uh, an I. How about an I? Uh, okay. I can you like an I better? Yes. I'm, okay. I was working in lowercase. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. Um, I, I see what you mean. So or, you want it straight up. Like the number one. Like the number one. All right. Right. Okay. And so you'd run your hand up the trunk, and then at some point that tree will be upright, and that's where you would tie it loosely to each stake in a right. figure eight pattern. Right. Because you want that tree to be able to bend in the wind to yes. build up those muscles. Yes. Yes, to, to build up that reaction. Yeah, to that develop makes that it girth. strong. And then it shouldn't take any more than a year. After a year, you should be able to take mm-hmm. the stakes off. If not, if if it, then you... What do you do? Staked it wrong. <laughs> well, you know, you got you got some plants. I have pepper tree, a California pepper tree, Shinus mole, and um, it's taking a lot more than a year yeah. <laughs> to to establish. Different plants are are different, um, so you 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 tweak it, but you don't ever want to have it so tight to a stake that it cannot move on its own. When we come back from this break go into where you place those stakes based on the wind. Yes. Okay, we'll talk about that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. I'm Matt Curtis. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Debbie Flower. Don't forget, there is a garden grappler coming up at mm-hmm. 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. So, a, a quick sentence or two about... Those tree stakes. Tree stakes. Because when the wind blows, you really don't want that tree bumping into the stake. Right. You, so, so, how do you place the stakes? You place the stakes so that the wind will blow uh, perpendicular to them. So perpendicular is the opposite direction. Like, um, so it's not parallel. It's not parallel. Yeah. So the stakes are on either side of the tree, and the wind is blowing uh, past them. How? What other term can I use? Yeah, um, it's blowing through it. So you have to pay attention to the wind. You yeah. have to know where you're. And the wind isn't always the same. We'll get north winds mm-hmm. uh, periodically, and and at my house, the, and in many parts of Sacramento. The uh, the primary direction is the wind comes out of the southwest, right. and so then you would put uh, the you would not have a stake on the southwest side or the northeast side. You would have a stake on the other two sides, <laughs> north, west, and southeast. <laughs> yes, 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 northwest and southeast side, and you attach the trunk at only one location. And then when the wind blows, the tree will move, the trunk will move, the reaction wood will form, but the uh, tree will not hit the stakes. And there's one other thing about stakes and trees hitting them, and that's the height of the stake. Mm -hmm. The height of the stake really only needs to be up to that point on the trunk where you've pulled your hand up and all of a sudden the tree stood straight up, and that's where your ties are. You need the, the height to be just a little bit above the ties, and not up into the canopy or the branches of the tree, because when the wind blows, those branches will rub against the stakes, and they'll make openings, and then insects and diseases can move into those openings. Or you'd be like me and just take your loppers and cut the branch off. That's the other option. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's go to the phones. Let's talk with John down in Fallbrook. So, John, did you get some of that freeze uh, that came up here? Well, we were down to about 32, 31 or 32 one day. How are the avocados? 
Well, I think my avocados struggled with it a little bit, uh, but hopefully they'll make it through. And they had fruit on them too, so uh, we'll uh, yet to be told. Okay, just like Fred. just like the rest of the farmers in California, we do not have our full damage estimates yet. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> ah, um, my question. Um, I'm having trouble growing potatoes, and, I, and I've tried before. I can't ever get any sprouts to pop out of the dirt. Um, what yeah, what I, sort of potatoes are you using? Um, I think they're Yukon Gold. And these are nursery quality potatoes that have... they're they're uh, seed potatoes. Okay, yeah. all right. So they're they're licensed and registered and all that. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. deep are you planting them? Um. Uh, about a half inch below the surface. I'm wondering if they're drying out then, or yeah, not deep I'd go a little I, deeper. I, um, okay, and you're not cutting into the eye when you plant them. No, I just uh, pointing the eye up. Okay. Well, there, there's eyes located around, but right. I'm trying to find the end that's got the most eyes, and I kind of point it up. Okay, I don't think that matters. Uh, a potato is a stem, and stems have buds all the way around them. And then mm-hmm. the end of the potato that has not expanded yet because it was dug up and harvested is the tip of the stem that has not yet grown. So that's the youngest uh, tissue on the potato. The eyes that I think are tend to be more productive are on the side. They have more of the starch of the potato to rely on, and they're not so crowded. And um, But I don't think that, you know... That means by turning it up, it means that the other buds further down the potato are just a few inches below the the surface, and that should uh, they should germinate anyway. So I don't think that's a factor. Um, what do you know about your soil? It's uh, um, it, it's uh, Kellogg kind of uh, uh, raised bed soil. Okay, so you're growing these in raised beds. It's nice loose soil. It's not a heavy clay soil, and it's in containers. Basically, a raised bed. Yeah, it's in yeah. a. I, got, I tried it in the ground a couple of years ago. I didn't have any luck, so this time I put it in a veg trog and a uh, wine barrel, half a wine barrel with hole, with drain holes in the wine barrel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, because they don't come that way. Yeah, because um, rot. You know, two, the two extremes of moisture would always be a pro, could be a problem. One is that they dry out because they're near the surface. The other is that. They they stay too wet and then potatoes the potatoes rot. Have you tried to dig them up after a while to see what's going on? Yeah, every every couple of days I, I I make a little <laughs> th- finger use my finger and dig around it and try to see what's going on. And what have you seen? Uh, I, I, I on one of them it looks like they're starting, oh. but the others the, the others seem to be not doing anything. And I'll squeeze them a little bit. And I would, I was assuming that if they were rotting, that they would be soft. Right. But if, if they dry out, they're going to be hard, just like they are when they come out of the bag. Right. What, when did you plant these? About a month ago. Okay, that might be part of the problem. I'm looking at um, the planting calendar in California for seed potatoes, ah. and for the South Coast, from San Luis Obispo on south, and Fallbrook would be south. Uh, March through May or July through August? March through May. So I'm a little early then, huh? Yeah, or July through August. Yeah, it might just be too cold. 
And it, it, mm-hmm. it, it has this tip here about um, cut the seed potatoes into pieces weighing from one to two ounces, each having one or more eyes. Store the cut pieces at room temperature and preferably in a humid place for one to two days before planting to allow the cut surface to form a callus. This decreases the rotting. Prepare a planting furrow three inches deep. Drop seed pieces into the furrows and fill the furrows to ground level. So I'm supposed to cut these potatoes. I've left them whole. That's okay. It'll work anyway. It'll work whole. Yeah. They just do that to spread out the, sh- the shoots. Uh, and actually the, the having to wait then a couple of days is, is to, to, as Fred said, to dry out the cut surfaces so that they don't rot. Mm. But the mm-hmm. depth, I mean, they're talking about three, three inches. Three inches, and, yeah, and a little more depth. half inch. So yeah. deeper, oh, okay, but... deeper next month. Oh, okay. So what's now, in the now, ground now there... you could put mulch on top of? Put a couple of inches of mulch yeah, on top. That, that, yeah. would, that would help increase the depth, insulate it from some extremes in, in weather uh, that are occurring, you know, like, like the freeze. Oh, okay, so, so if they haven't rotted... Mm-hmm. or dried out, I can leave them in and just add more soil, add three yeah. inches or go. two and a half inches on yes. top. John, we have to run because Terry's giving me a real dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Thanks for your help. You're welcome. Garden Grappler up next on Get Growing on KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back. It's Garden Grappler time on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Debbie Flower is here to judge your weedy answers because it's a weed question. Have my judge wig on. All right. Name a weed that's appearing now in your yard. And for the sake of definition, please define for us a weed. A weed is a plant out of place. All right. Our classic weeds are ones that produce, reproduce very well on their own and uh, prolifically. Sometimes called noxious. Yes. Name a weed that's appearing now in your yard. I think we'll be generous with the answers. Okay. I have a funny feeling. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. There's probably a clue available in your backyard if you just go out there and take a look. Right. If, if you don't know what the weed is, bring it in, hold it up to the phone, and we'll try to identify it. <laughs> The uh, but but the the clue I take you to is a weed photo gallery. So you could, if you know the name of it or think you know the name of it, you can click on the name and a picture will pop up. So name a weed that's appearing now in your yard. All five callers get two tickets to the original Sacramento Home and Garden Show at Cal Expo next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, March second through the fourth, plus other wonderful prizes and a bonus prize for caller five. Because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat. An earlier answer. Terry, are you ready in there? All right, he's ready. He's ready to answer your calls when you phone in 916-576-1578, 916-576-1578, or toll-free 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. I don't know why I keep using the phrase toll-free. That's what you had with a dial You're phone. You're showing your age. I know. I know, exactly. Um, those are the numbers to call in for the Garden Grappler. Name a weed that's appearing now in your yard. Obviously, there's a lot of variables in that question because it's your yard. Right. And we don't know where you live. So we're going to have to talk about things. Yeah. But uh, that's what a judge does, and that's what <laughs> Debbie Flowers' job is. So name a weed that's appearing now in your yard. 
While you're doing that, we can talk with Ray in Danville. He might even hey. have an answer. Hi, Ray. Uh, I'm going to say the foxtail because that's in our yard, and it cost us $600 about 40 years ago because our dogs Ooh. ate his foxtail. Oh, yeah. And it, wouldn't, it would not clear. That was an expensive uh, meal. And, yeah, um, yeah. and, you know, yeah. there's a lot of foxtails now. I noticed that along the uh, trails in Folsom that they've let the grass grow and they develop that head. And that head is what gets caught in their ears right. or their paws. Their eyes, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know which foxtail it is. And I don't want to give away any more answers. <laughs> but, yeah, foxtail in general, I guess barley foxtail. It's a weed, but... It- it's typically more of a summer problem than a winter problem. Yeah. But, but I, like I say, I'm, I'm seeing it now. We're, yeah, right. we're seeing a whole mix of stuff. Yeah, so actually a lot, there's a lot of good answers out there. But, Ray, what the heck, remind me to keep you on hold, Ray, so uh, Terry can get your name and address and we'll send you some stuff, okay? Excellent. Because and that's not why you called. No, it's <laughs> not. Uh, so three weeks ago I said, uh, when do I pr- pr- uh, prune my apricot? And you said, wait. And so I've waited, but in the past I have cut them, pruned them in the winter, and I'm looking out here and I've got so much, uh, let's see, the, I guess the technical word is yuck on mm-hmm. my apricot tree yeah. mm-hmm. from yeah. from my wintertime pruning in the past. All this dark, jet black, kind of almost looks like skeletons hanging on the tree. What do I do to bring this apricot back to health? Well, let's see, you don't prune it till August. But yep. no, it's too late for that. Uh, so I, I think that's more natural. What you're seeing now, it's... I don't. I think he's got. Um, and I always you type forget... No, you type is what you get when you prune when it's wet outside. Okay. Uh, it's and I always forget the name of it, so I'm having to look it up. Um, I have it on my I... apricot. I prune my apricot in. Oh. We probably didn't get to it till maybe September or October. Bacterial canker. Yes. All right. And I I have pruned it. When I moved in, it had a lot more wood on it. I've been lowering the tree and taking out the layers in the tree. So it's quite wide and just a single layer of branches. Um, so a lot of air can get through that. helps reduce that disease. We went through one year and pruned, and every time we made a cut, we it, boy, it was tedious. We we cleaned the uh, we as my husband and I we cleaned the pruning shears with rubbing alcohol between all wow. cuts. Yeah, it's a it's a big job, but that was so we didn't spread the the rot and we cut way back. And then, um, you, you, technically, you should never remove more than one third of the canopy of a tree in one year. Um, and so we we did a big pruning job one year, and then we come back and and remove the others. And then in the summer, I would observe the tree and see where um, shot hole fungus would show up. Shot hole fungus is a disease of stone fruit, so cherries get them and apricots get them and peach gets it. And it's on the leaves, and it just the leaves just look like they have, whole, they have perfect round holes in them. And that's because the fungus has attacked the leaf and eaten that hole out, and the tissue has fallen out. Those are the places that are getting too much moisture. They're not... They're not exposed to the air enough, and the next thing that's going to happen is, is we're going to get worse diseases. So I'd see what's over the top of that. You know, decide what's going to, what am I going to cut out that winter or that that August? Summer, yeah. yeah. Am August. I going to cut out the the branch that's growing over the top of the leaves with shot hole fungus, or the branch with the shot hole fungus under it? And just keep 
so and and I put tape on things and write cut on them. You know, I I, I was very methodical, um, and I finally gotten the tree down lower. It's not as low as I'd like it to be. It'll never be that low, but uh, so I don't have to use a ladder as much to take care of it, and and more open to get air through the plant. And that has helped reduce the, the disease in the plant tremendously. Great. And then any fertilizers you can recommend and when, what month should I be applying those fertilizers? Fertilize, uh, I think when you see at least one inch of uh, leaf growth yeah, on there. That's a good idea. And uh, the, the and other recommendation for fertilization of bearing fruit trees is usually right after harvest mm-hmm. for the following year. Because you're going to set the buds for the next yeah. year. Yeah. The, and uh, what fertilizer would you recommend? One that's recommended for fruit trees. How's that? Okay. Uh, the um, is the word you're looking for, Debbie Pseudomonas. Um, I don't think it's because no, ba- bacterial canker is a pseudomonas. And uh, I'm reading the description okay. here about the symptoms. It talks about the most obvious in spring includes limb dieback with rough cankers and amber-colored gum. Yeah. There may also be leaf spot and blast of young flowers and shoots. The sour sap phase of bacterial canker may not show gum and cankers, but the inner bark is brown, fermented, and sour smelling. There's, yes, the, the, I would see lots of gum. The other thing that can cause that is brown rot. Uh, brown rot typically is, is worse with more moisture. All the funguses are typically worse with more moisture. Um, <clears throat> I won't tell you what they're recommending here. <laughs> Something strong and, and, and take not the av- tree out. And not available to the home gardener. Oh, okay. It's, it's like a, a soil sterilant. <laughs> the other thing to do is to go out and not take, sterilant, take out uh, fruits that were that did form last year, but they've become mummies. They'll look brown or even gray and be shrunken. <clears throat> those contain uh, disease, and you want to get rid of those. You can put a new layer of mulch under the tree. Because funguses produce spores, the plants, the funguses overwinter as spores, and the uh, that will germinate from new spores, and they can be on the ground. Um, it's a little late, at least for me. It's a little late for the dormant sprays. Yeah, uh, I think this is an ag recommendation I'm reading here. It says control has been achieved with pre-plant fumigation for ring nematodes. Oh yes, of course. And uh-huh. yeah, nematodes stress trees, which predisposes them to bacterial canker. So, are you in sandy soil? No, clay. Okay. 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 Then you don't have nematodes. Probably. Yeah. Nematodes but, tend to live in well-drained sandy soils. Yeah. So, uh, basically what Debbie told you, and that's a bit, take good care of it in the right. meantime and then prune it in the proper season. Has it bloomed yet? Awesome. Uh a couple, uh, 1%. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah, it's early. Okay. So, so, you could do some pruning. Yeah. Take out the worst of it. It's going to probably um, bleed. I don't know how. I haven't pruned an app. Well, they don't bleed in August. No. So maybe they won't bleed. Uh, but I would clean my shears between cuts. Really? Okay. okay. Rubbing yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Thank you. All this right. is great. Thank you both. Ray, don't, don't hang up, Ray. Terry's going to get your name and address, and we'll send you a bunch of stuff for uh, talking about foxtail weed. Awesome. Thank all, you. All right. Let me see if I can get you back on hold here without hanging up. Hey, I did it. So, Terry, Ray is caller number one. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get callers two, three, four, and five on the Garden Grappler on Get Growing. I'm Matt Curtis. 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we are in the midst of the Garden Grappler getting answers to the musical question, name a weed that's appearing now in your yard. Reagan Danville said foxtail. Yeah, I'm seeing those around too. Mm -hmm. So we're really dealing with cool season weeds here, Debbie Flower. Well, that's what I would expect to see, but some some warm season ones are starting to germinate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's find out what other weeds are on other mines. Ted down in Oakville, go ahead, give us a weed. I, I go with a milkweed because the mother butterfly likes it so well. Okay, milkweed is what I heard. Yep. Asclepia. The, 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 the mother butterfly likes What was that? I didn't understand. You sound like you're underwater there, Ted. No, it, 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 hang on, hang on. <laughs> okay. All right. He is. He's in the bathroom. Well, we'll take it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So milkweed, you know, like the modern butterfly needs. Right. Okay. Yes, it is. It's what they lay their eggs on, and and then yes. But it is a weed. But it is a weed. Yeah. yeah. Takes off. All right. All right. Okay, Ted. I'm going to be sending you a bunch of stuff, including <laughs> from, from the UCI. <laughs> What? And, and, I, and I, I, I planted that nice tree that you guys sent me, and I really enjoy it. Oh, good. All right. I'm glad you got it. All okay. right. Congratulations. Bye-bye. But I'm not going to send you a tree. I'll send you some paper. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. All right. So, milkweed. That's interesting. Um, who's up next here? I, I'll be curious to see what Charlie in Brooklyn has for weeds <laughs> right now. Charlie, I would think you'd, you'd have snow right now. No, no, no. We we actually had the opposite weather of yours this week. Oh, yeah, you're warm this week, right? Yeah, we were warm, and now it's raining and the wind just picked up. Well, so, I, no gardening today. All right. So, but what sort of weeds are appearing in your garden plot? Uh, I have this problem all the time: field vine weed. Oh yeah. Oh, once you have it, problem. you have it. Yeah. Yes. Poor man's morning glory. Yeah, I didn't want to say that because that was another <laughs> giveaway. Well, oh, yeah, you're right. I just gave yeah, away Yeah, Fred, an you blew yeah, it. Yeah, I gave away, Fred. Yeah, I did. All right. Yeah, field bindweed. How do you control field bindweed, Debbie? Uh, dig it out yeah. with great persistence. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, we I we have, have it. the morning glory. We've got to pull it out all the time. Yeah. yeah. Watch yeah. for it. Pull it out. Watch hey, for it. Pull hey, it out. Hey, Charlie, I'm going to send you two tickets to the original Sacramento Home and Garden Show. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Give it to somebody else, right? Okay. You know. Yeah, I figured. Since I got you're... one question. Yes. I was in my friend's garden yesterday, and he asked me about his fig trees. He cut them down really low, and he wants to get rid of them. And then he told me what he did, and that kind of triggered in my my head what he said. He said he fertilizes it every year, and I wanted to tell him, I think you're fertilizing it too much. That's why you're not getting no figs. Well, it could be if he's using a lot of nitrogen, the the first number yeah, on the fertilizer. Yeah, then he'll get lots of green growth, but he won't get fruit. Yeah. And yeah. he has a, a herbicide. It has citrus in it. That's how he wants to kill him. I said, you might be better off just pulling him out. But let me call the garden show and see what they say. I say give it one more year what, does fertilizing. He, does he want the figs or not? Yeah, he wanted them, but for three years, he's not getting no figs. Well, there could be other reasons, too. Is it in full sun? Yeah. Okay, is it overwatered? Yeah, two of them together. They're All like right. maybe a foot or two apart. Oh, really? A little uh, crowded. Yeah, that's a little crowded there. Um, yeah. The, you can keep figs small. You can keep them close together, but they should produce fruit. Yeah. Um, too much water? It could It could be the the wrong fertilizer, and no, I don't think the... The citrus oil, the citrus herbicide works by smothering the plant with oil. 
citrus oil. It happens to be oil is a great uh, herbicide, but it needs to be used on green parts of the plant, the whole plant, <laughs> but especially green parts of the plant. And it needs to be um, applied really kind of in warm weather kind of heavily. So I don't think that's yeah. going to work. If he really wants it out, I think digging it is the way to go. But yeah, give it another year. It's not like, you know, what's he going to lose? How, how about take one of them out and leave one in? Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. It should work better. Yeah. All right. But I mean, they sprout pretty easily. So they do. I, I think if you cut back the fertilizer, yeah, I, I don't recall ever fertilizing my Right. They grow trees. wild yeah. around here, but usually by a yeah. creek, which provides some moisture and some nutrients. Yeah. But yeah, right. maybe a little mulch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. But that'd be about it. Hey, Charlie, I'll send you some stuff anyway. Okay, cool. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for calling. All right. Calling. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So, good answers. Foxtail, milkweed, field bindweed. Boy, that's a problem everywhere. That's oh, for yeah. sure. Uh, Gail in Vacaville, go ahead. Give us a weed that's popping up in your yard now. Dandelion. Really? Really? It's coming up now, huh? Yes. I've seen it. I've seen the greens in the grocery. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I've seen the basil leaves. Yeah. So... Uh, it, it, of the plant in yeah. your yard? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I haven't seen any in my yard, knock on wood. Yeah, but it's, well, it, it, weeds are different to different people. Uh, yes, that's yes. true. There, there, is a, there is a dandelion defense society that would... Uh, Seriously? Dis- yes, that would disagree with us. My grandfather used to grow them and eat them. Yeah, and yeah. and for uh, to break up soil, it's great. Yeah, that taproot. taproot. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. But Gail, good answer, so I'll be sending you a bunch of stuff, okay? Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. And that brings us to caller five here in Sacramento, I believe. Up, 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 up. Wrong number. Wrong number. Wrong number. I can't hang up. Oh, wait a minute. Let's see how I did. Oh, there we go. Wait a minute here. It's Allie and Rio Linda. Hi, Allie. Hello. Well, you're caller five. I tell you what. If you can come up with a weed that hasn't been named up that's popping up in your yard that isn't a foxtail, a milkweed, a field bindweed, or a dandelion, I have for you from my friends at the Sacramento County Master Gardener's Office, their 2018 Master Gardener Gardening Guiding Calendar. Ooh, nice. Great. I need to know one. I got disconnected, and I came back to you when I was trying to hear what all those previous answers were. So I have purslane. Purslane, yes. Yeah. You can eat that, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is. Exactly. It's edible. Yeah. 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 Purslane is, is a popular weed around here. That's for sure. And it's, um, it, it's, con- it's a portalaca, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. My husband was yes. doing weed control and, and he said, oh, I, 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 I didn't take that one out on the side of the hill because, um, you know, it's like real succulent and, uh, no, that's purslane. You should have taken it, but oh yeah. well. He it, thought it was so pretty. It was something I had planted. It does flower in the spring. It little, does. Little yellow flowers. And okay. it has Pretty colors in the stems. And, yeah. But yeah. it's, uh, it, and, and I mean, let's face it, it is kind of low-lying. It yes, get that it is tall. very low-lying. Yeah. So, but again, it is a, a weed. A weed is a weed. A weed is a weed. Personally, good answer, Alex. So I'll be sending you the uh, uh, Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar. That's great. And I was going to say milkweed. I, tell you, I grow milkweed on purpose for a butterfly. Right. So do I. But it does move. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, as most things do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Congratulations, Allie. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye bye. All right. Uh, now people still have questions, so we have time. We're going to answer yeah. some questions. Sure. Okay. Let's see who's been on hold the longest. I think it's uh, Randy up in Reading. Hi, Randy. Hi. So, so, Randy, go ahead. What's your question? 
Well, um, our strawberry patch, we have a wild morning glory in it and just can't get rid of it. Oh, that's that bindweed we were talking about. Field bindweed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very difficult weed to get rid of. Um, You might... What I would do if I really wanted to get rid of it was you you have to very carefully pull on the stems because it will travel uh, by an underground stem. uh, And so you have to take it back to the the origin, which is the tuber. It's an underground storage organ. And then dig that out. And that's it's hard work. So if you pull on it, you're leaving that tuber behind. Right. If you just yank it where yeah. it's sticking out of the ground, you're leaving that tuber behind. So you have to gently, maybe with a tool, work the stem back, find the underground stem, work it back, find the tuber, and then dig down and get the tuber out. So the other option yeah. is to leave it big and bold and beautiful and then paint it with, uh, oh, like a glyphosate herbicide, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. Um mm. And and that will so you you want it as big and luxuriously growing as possible because that'll absorb the most herbicide. It will take that back to the storage organ, and then it will die, and then it will regrow from the storage organ. And it might look defective. It might look the leaves might look wrinkled or very thin. And you paint it. You let it grow big and paint it again. Uh, it's it's going to take many times of doing that if you want to do the herbicide route. So I'm, re- wow. I'm reading here on the IPM website about control for field bindweed, and it talks about it has not much luck growing in shade. So I wonder if this is a situation where a weed cloth might help. Yeah, or um, and then get the strawberries to be really uh, luxurious and provide the shade. And it says in typical bureaucratic language here, Herbicides have been relatively effective for suppression of bindweed, but have not been very effective for eradication. And it's because of that tuber. Yeah. It's very difficult to get rid of a tuber with, with an herbicide. And so there, Yeah, and then it spreads to other parts of the garden. Right. Yeah. From those stems, it, it'll germinate the nodes. The stems are underground. It'll germinate new, new branches from those stems. They go off in a different direction, and they pop up somewhere else. It talks about here using a pre-emergent. And uh, really, yeah, and, and it talks about using um, trifluralin or orizolin or pendimethalin pen, or whatever it's pronounced. But they are uh, they registered for use in a, a, a strawberry bed because that oh, it's in a strawberry bed, yeah, yeah. they're going to be absorbed by the uh, strawberry, yeah. and you don't want to eat that. Yeah, the glyphosate would be, I, I would yeah. think. Well, yeah, if you want to kill off the strawberries, well, you that's why you're applying it with a paintbrush or yeah. a foam brush. You're painting it on the plant. You're not yeah. spraying it. Although yeah. the new, my husband bought a new uh, Roundup sprayer, and it came with a little cone on the end of the sprayer. Oh, he was very excited <laughs> yeah, about this. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it is nice. It yeah. prevents drift, which is what would kill the strawberry. I think if you wanted to use a pre-emergent of something like uh, uh, trifluralin, uh, is read the label and see if it's registered for use on strawberries. Yes, that that would oh. that would. Yeah, surprise me. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't do it personally because I don't want that in the soil of something I'm going to eat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you can always move. <laughs> move the strawberries. You could fallow. Well, have to do that. You could fallow the land and yeah. and soil sterilize it in the summer. There you go. Yeah, with with clear plastic. Yeah, with yeah. clear plastic. Every year that way. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's an option. Yeah. And then replant with strawberries once you're done. Yeah. it won't get rid of it. You will have it. Will come back. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a weed that 
keeps on giving. Yes, it is. It's forever. Sort yeah. of like Bermuda grass. Yeah. All right. You just hey, have to be persistent. Randy, we have to go here. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. Thank you. And Debbie Flower, you have to go here. Thanks for calling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll call in another time. Okay. No. I, uh, Thanks for having me. We Always appreciate fun. your efforts. Well, I hope to see you again in March. All Maybe right. March or April. Come on Sounds by. Sounds good. Say hi. And uh, get some more good advice. I always got glad to have Debbie Flower here. While we come back, we're going to talk about the hot house plants right now and what's old is new again. We'll do that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Dave Ramsey here. It- You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We're talking with Roger Snell. He's with Park Greenhouse. They specialize in house plants. And Roger, we're here at the NorCal show. Uh, what plant is attracting the interest of all these retail and wholesale outlets that are visiting here? Um, everybody's been asking about our fiddle leaf figs. Um, we've been selling them out. It's a new product for us. It's an old plant, but... Uh, Pinterest has brought it back to everybody's eyes. Um, it's a dramatic plant. It's got a huge leaf, Ficus lyrata, and uh, if, if you turn your back on it, it'll be uh, tickling the ceiling in no time. Yep. It's a good plant. Just don't overwater it, um, and it's a, a solid plant to grow. It does reach for the sun, and so wherever the sun is, you got to turn it and keep it turned. Okay, like I say, big dramatic leaves. It doesn't get that wide, though. It, it gets taller than wide. Yeah, it's, it's very horizontal and um, or, or vertical. Um, but it's a great plant, and Pinterest is... is has started a lot of people into houseplants now. All my nurseries that I sell to are going through so many houseplants, it's it's unbelievable. It's like the old days. What what, uh, plants are they asking for? Everything. Um, Like the string of hearts, an old, old plant, um, and they just want all they can get of them. So string of hearts, I mean, it looks kind of like a creeping Charlie. Yeah, like creeping Charlie, heart-shaped leaves. They get kind of a variegation to them, Um, a little... um, innocent flower that doesn't really show much um other things like the string of pearls has been really big again and and the uh, string of bananas and just like the name implies it's a cascading plant uh the string of pearls look like green peas on on the plant and the string of bananas yeah like green bananas yeah it's it's a cool plant easy to grow um succulents you don't need to water them much they can they can't take full sun everybody thinks that they grow them in full sun but no they need some shade, especially in our Sacramento area. Now, you, you spoke about heart-shaped leaf. I'm staring at one right here. Is this making it come back to anthuriums? Anthuriums, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah the, was it Hawaiian love plant? Yeah. <laughs> All the old plants for people are winning. I mean, we'll probably have to start growing piggyback plants again or something. You know? <laughs> no, what? No coleus? Yeah, oh, we still do a lot of coleus, too. Um, but even they're coming out with all these new Diffenbachias. Um, this one's called Camouflage. with a, It's a, a chartreuse with dark, dark green spots all through it. Yeah, it's a great modeled effect. It's sort of a, a light lime green leaf with these dark green spots. It's like somebody took dark green paint and threw it on the leaf. Yeah, he says, look at that. Yeah. And then um, the Sansevieria, the um, mother-in-law tongue, and the snake plant, another popular plant. Um, now, the beauty of, of a snake plant like that is, it, it, I like to call it a bachelor pad plant because it's for the person that wants house plants but doesn't want to take care of them very much. Yeah, and the designers love them because it has the it's real uh, uh, upright growth, um, really kind of a architectural form. It looks mid-century modern. Um, with a good pot, it would be beautiful in a, a nice house. Exactly. The uh, 
mothers-in-law tongue or snake plant. Uh, interesting, interesting plant that is uh, making a return. So while we're on the subject of taking care of plants, what are some general houseplant care tips? Don't overwater, and you're going to be fine. <laughs> That's the, the. I've been in the nursery business for years. Everything that comes back is people overwatered it 90% of the time. I've never had someone bring back a plant because they, they, they um, didn't water it. You know, it, it, there was too little water. Roger, you've been in the nursery business for decades. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. I learn something new every day. Um, it's always fun, and there's so many people that have interesting stories about plants. Everybody can put a personal touch to a plant and, and, and give you more from it than just, you know, I have plants that were my great-grandmothers. Um, and I, I'm proud of that. I love that fact. I mean, it's, it's historical to me. What about light requirements for most plants? I've often heard that if you have enough light in order to read a book, the house plant will like it. That's a good one. But there are some plants that, like, like the, the ficus lorata, the fiddle leaf fig, that, that can take a dark spot. Or the stansonvaria, too. Um, okay. Well, that's a, that's a good question to ask, then. What are the plants for the darkest spots in the room? Um, you, you just got to try them out and move them around. I mean, some are going to be finicky, but um, some of the ficus, like ficus saber, is really good in dark spots. Um, ficus lorata. Um, some of the ferns are really good, but you do need to move them out. And, and I always like to move mine out on the, on the patio during the summer so they can get a little outside fun, just like my cat. Yep. Now, now here's an old plant that uh, I may be making a comeback. I'm seeing it in my neighborhood a lot, and, and I'm even seeing it, uh, people trying it as an outdoor plant up here, and that's always chancy. And that's the uh, ficus benjamina, the weeping thing. I know. Yeah. I, I saw them when I was driving up here. Um, I grew up with them in L.A. when I was a kid, and they were a, a front yard tree. <laughs> yeah, but uh, here, I mean, they don't like temperatures below 40 degrees. No, not not at all, no. But they're attractive. Yeah. Now, the one thing about the weeping fig is if you change its environment ever so slightly, yeah. it will drop leaves. But then what happens? It grows more leaves. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you just move it three feet from the spot it was in, it'll drop all its leaves sometimes. But they will grow right back. Just don't overwater them. Okay. Yeah. A lot of great house plants that don't require much care. I like I said, I like to call them bachelor pad house plants. And any more bachelor plants here? Um. Well, the um, umbrella plant. That's the umbrella plants really easy. I, well, the, like I love the hypoestas um, for uh, outdoor for sh- shade areas for um, for like an impatient spot and stuff. But they're a good house plant too. Um, they're a, a pink um, with green veins. Yeah, really it, attractive. It reminds me of a low-growing coleus, yeah. if you would. Yeah. So would this be planted outdoors as an annual? Yeah, as an annual. In the shade. In the shade, or as a house plant in a, in a, a nice window or bathroom. And again, that's called hypoestus. Yeah. All right. It, yeah, it's a beautiful little plant. I like that. Ponytail palm. Tell me about that. Um, it's a good plant. It has a, a, a large bulb down the bottom, and then it comes up with a palm frond look to it. Um, it's a very attractive plant. They get quite huge. You, you can see some in uh, large containers that the bulb on the bottom would be, you know, 12, 18 inches wide and stuff. As that bulb gets more constricted, will the plant flower? I've never seen one flower. Have okay. you? No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've never thought of that, but no, I've never seen a flower. All right, so that's the ponytail plant. So th- I guess it would need uh, repotting then every now and then to a slightly larger pot. Sure, and, and most plants do, I, I definitely. A lot of times, from my experience, when people brought in a plant that was suffering, like a house plant, it was the biggest problem was that it was root bound and it needed a larger pot. And the, the key, I think, with uh, transplanting any house plant is only go up one pot size. You don't want to go yep. 
to too big a pot because there's too much free water then in that pot. Yep, and they're going to rot. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the key. As you said, it's uh, don't overwater them. Don't love them to death. You know, uh, when they tell you to water, water them. I, that's my key at home. Um, if it starts to wilt, it's ready for water. <laughs> that's good, yeah. yeah. You do the old finger test. Yeah. Stick yeah. your finger in the soil, see if it's dry or wet. And also just lifting the pot will yeah. let you know if it's uh, moist or not. Roger Snell, Park Greenhouse. A lot of great house plants here. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thanks, Fred. It's a pleasure. Coming up, garden events. They're on the way as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Patty, it's been... Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Lots of garden events going on today through next Saturday. Let's uh, find out what's happening. For instance, you could learn all about kitchen gardening, how to have a nice little uh, garden in your kitchen, maybe to grow some herbs, uh, things like that. Uh, the Master Gardeners of Yellow County are doing that little talk. Today, 2 to 4 o'clock at the Mary Stevens Library at 315 East 14th Street in Davis. Also going on today, and this is kind of interesting, it's a floral creativity show going on at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center in McKinley Park at 3330 McKinley Boulevard from now until 4 o'clock. It's the Ikebana, or Ikebana Flower Show, and it's, uh, it's the Japanese flower arranging art and you can see some very interesting flower arrangements and learn how to do it yourself. The flower arrangements include the use of natural greens and flowers, fruits and vegetables, wood, bamboo, glass, plastic, metal, paper, and branch sculptures. There's table arrangements, hanging arrangements, an educational section as well. In addition, uh, standing arrangements will uh, be on display. So that should be very interesting. The demonstrations will occur uh, from 1 to 2.30 on both days. And that would be Saturday and Sunday. And today being Sunday, it's happening at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, the Ikebana Flower Show at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard in McKinley Park. Just a wonderful facility for many of the garden clubs in the area. Maybe you want to learn how to make a flute, well, out of an elderberry branch. Well, you can at UC Davis today from 1 until 3 o'clock. Learn how to make and play an elderberry flute with uh, the East Bay Regional Parks docent Antonio Flores, who will talk about the craft and culture of native Californian flute making, as well as talking about the elderberry beetle. All materials will be surprised. Bring a sharpened pocket knife if you have one. Adults will need to supervise their young children. And again, who will supervise the adults? That's what I want to know. This is at UC Davis today, 1 to 3 o'clock, in the Environmental Horticulture Building, room 146. All right. Friday, the Organic Garden Club of Sacramento has a good speaker talking about heirloom vegetables and the arc of taste. The speaker, Gail Pothauer, UC uh, Cooperative Extension Sacramento County Master Gardener, knows her vegetables. And uh, she'll be talking about uh, that at the Organic Garden Club meeting this coming Friday. 10 a.m. is the meeting time, and it is held at the Carmichael Park Administration Building there at 5750 Grant Avenue near the corner of Grant and Fair Oaks. In fact, right on the corner of Grant and Fair Oaks. All right. 
Uh, let's see what else is going on here. Uh, Tuesday, Master Gardeners in, Sac- in Stockton have a class about tomatoes, planting to common pests. They'll cover it all. 10 to noon at the Master Gardener office at 2101 East Earhart Avenue in Stockton. Then coming up Saturday at that same location, the San Joaquin Master Gardeners have a class. A class. It's an all-day workshop conference on smart gardening. It's $25, but there are 16 classes for you to choose from. They're staggered throughout the day. It includes lunch. Spaces are limited, so you'll be sure to want to register to take one of these classes. And the classes include common fruit tree pests and how to manage them, growing herbs, cold-hardy aloes for Northern California, uh, preservation, food preservation of strawberries, uh, gardening for pollinators, successful summer vegetable gardening, tool care, and uh, preserving tomatoes. Yes, the master food preservers are also involved in this. It's not just the master gardeners. So as I'm fond of saying on this show, you grew it, now eat it. And that's the whole point of the master food preservers. And the afternoon sessions include classes on plant propagation, irrigation in the home garden, savvy succulents, uh, making jelly and jam, gardening in your golden years, landscape weed identification and management, all about composting, and uh, preserving herbs. So again, this is all day. It's next Saturday, 8.30 to 4.30, the 2018 Smart Gardening Conference put on by the San Joaquin County Master Gardeners and the Master Food Preservers. There is a $25 fee at the Robert Cabral Ag Center at 2101 East Earhart Avenue. I think for more information, you can just uh, do an Internet search of uh, San Joaquin County Master Gardeners Smart Gardening Conference or uh, give them a call at 209-953-6100. And I do believe you have to register for that class. Uh, There's only a limited number of seats. As you may have surmised from the Garden Grappler, the original Sacramento Home and Garden Show is next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's the 37th annual Sacramento Home and Garden Show with the newest in landscaping, gardening, patios, fencing, decks, heating, air, solar, insulation, remodeling, and so much more at Cal Expo. Next Saturday, too, I understand there's still a few a few seats left for the Sacramento County Master Gardener class on worm composting. Did your worms freeze? You may need worms. I think I need worms. Uh, The Cooperative Extension Office is where this class will be held at 4145 Branch Center Road near the corner of Bradshaw and Kiefer. The uh, space is limited. Pre-registration is required. There is a fee. It's $25, but you'll go home with a worm bin, worms, and educational materials. Uh, The Master Gardeners will teach this uh, class on the neat, easy, odorless method of composting using worms and you can have a, your vermicomposting unit indoors or outdoors. Learn about worm composting bin selection, how to meet the red wiggler's bedding and food needs, and how to harvest the castings. Discover the benefits of being a worm wrangler and take home a worm bin with the worms. And how often have you heard Steve Zion, Sacramento's organic advocate on this program, extol the virtues of worm castings as a soil amendment in your garden? Um, he, he does. So you can take that class next Saturday at uh, the Cooperative Extension Office here in Sacramento County. For more information, give them a call, 875-6913 in the 916 area code, 875-6913. Or visit their website, sacmg.ucanr.edu. Or just do an Internet search for Sacramento County Master Gardener Worm Composting. 
that'll probably pop up. And also next Saturday, up in Amador County, the Master Gardeners have a class on garden design using raised beds and terracing. It's a free class on garden design using various types of raised beds, including straw bale beds, as well as the use of landscape terracing to improve your garden irrigation. Where is the water going to go? Drainage, a big key in that. Planting vegetables and flowers in raised beds can help successful gardens maximi- gardeners maximize their growing areas and overcome many garden problems. There will be handouts. It's a free class, and it'll be at the GSA building, which is the Government Services Building, in uh, Jackson at 12200 Airport Road from 9 until noon, and that's next Saturday. And for more information, you can give them a call at 209-223-6838 or do an Internet search on the topic of garden design using raised beds and terracing, Master Gardeners, San Joaquin County. All right. Anything else, Fred, need to talk about? It's going to rain this week. Just want to remind you, according to the National Weather Service, they are predicting rain. Tonight, chance of rain. Tomorrow, rain likely. Monday night, chance of rain. Sunny on Tuesday. And then a chance of rain on Wednesday. And then rain for sure on Thursday. And a chance of showers Friday and Saturday. So it promises to be a wet week, which means today might be a good day. One of the few days this week where you can get out and do stuff without being in the rain and slipping in the mud. So... uh, Sunny skies today with a high of 60 is forecast. And then uh, rain tonight and Monday. Sunny on Tuesday, but windy on Tuesday. Northwest winds gusting to as high as 24 miles an hour on Tuesday. So secure the patio furniture and the chihuahua. All right. Coming up next on this very radio station, it is the KSTE Farm Hour. And this week on the Farm Hour, we talk about how uh, the immigration... uh, Folks, the ICE agents are hitting California's farms, uh, even though the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, told reporters last week in, in Fresno that well, ICE isn't targeting farms. And this was going on, he said that same week, that these farms were being raided. And uh, he's trying to work a deal out to have them lay off the farms, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, uh, we talk about that. Last week's unusual late February cold snap and hard freeze is threatening crops throughout the state. We have a preliminary report on that, as you might imagine. And uh, (laughs) this is amazing. The Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is thinking of taking over the building of the entire Delta Tunnels project. What? That's on the KSDE Farm Hour coming up next. Hey, thank you for listening to this program. Without you, there would be no Get Growing. So I appreciate your support week in and week out. It's been 26 years. Going on. It's in its 26th year. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Have yourself a great week. Bye-bye.